This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. You know, people like to study and reason and come to conclusions based on different evidences. It's kind of part of our nature. We drive towards processing through subjects. And I believe that this is one of the reasons God said in Isaiah 118 to his people, come let us what? Reason together. In other words, God is not afraid or intimidated by our questions. Pastor Josh made an incredible statement. We have a tendency to question everything as humans. It's in our nature. We try to understand the reasoning behind everything we do. Even as Christians, we sometimes question everything the Bible says and wonder if it's true. Pastor Josh tells you in today's message how God invites you to challenge Him and ask any difficult question you need answered. God has the answer to every doubt you have, and He will guide you to the answer through the Bible. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 as he begins his message, Why Trust the Bible? We started talking about the importance of what doctrine means in our lives. For the sake of the series, we've defined the word doctrine as the lens of beliefs and convictions through which we see God, ourselves, the world, and life. And here's the thing about doctrine. It shouldn't be an intimidating word because every human being lives by doctrine. Every human being has a set of convictions and beliefs that have been influenced and formed by some source of authority in their life. And the way that they believe morally, the way they interact with people, the way they view God, their spiritual beliefs are all built on doctrine or the teaching that informs their minds, their lives, and their actions. And so when I talk about living and walking in sound doctrine or in firm doctrine, I'm simply talking about informing our lives and dictating our behavior based on what is true and not what is an error. Because it is a bold statement today, isn't it, to say there is absolute truth and there is absolute error. People don't like to hear that, even though it makes completely logical sense, that you can't have two contradicting statements on the same subject and expect them both to be true. There is truth in this world, and there is error in this world. In fact, here's a sobering reality. The Bible teaches us that Satan, the spiritual enemy of the church, the spiritual pure, pure form of evil, the Bible teaches us that Satan is, quote, the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit which works in the sons of disobedience. In fact, John tells us that the entire world, how much of the world? The entire world is under the sway or the influence of the wicked one, which tells us that outside of the truth God has revealed, outside of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, those apart from Christ are walking under the ideas and philosophies of the enemy, directly influenced by the liar of all time, the deceiver, the destroyer, the thief, Satan. And so it's a nice thought out there, we know, to 
many people just want to be ignorant of the reality and just assume everyone is pretty good and we should just have an open mind to all different truths, your truth, my truth, all these ideas. But you can only be so open-minded to such a degree before all the sense and logic and truth falls out of your head. You have to be open-minded to discover truth and you have to be closed-minded to keep truth and to not let it be robbed or to rob you of the benefits of the truth. Why do you think Jesus made this very powerful statement? You shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Make you free. There's a whole world living in the bondage of their own lies, of lies about God, of lies about themselves and who they are, and lies about others, and lies about the world and its state and its future and its past. And they walk in bondage, and then the light of the gospel and the truth of God's word hits us, and all of a sudden, freedom begins to take place in our soul, in our minds, and in our lives. As a Christian, the thought of believing sound doctrine or the truth of what God has communicated to us is more important now than ever before because we have more voices now than ever before that are feeding us lies. According to a new LifeWay statistical study, they do every year the state of theology in America. And among evangelical believing, you probably won't believe me, so I'm going to say this again. Among professing evangelical believing Christians, people like you sitting in pews of churches, listen, 56% agreed that God accepts the worship of any religion. 48% agree that God adapts and changes his mind and his ways based on circumstances. So denying his immutability, his omnipotence, his, his all-knowing, his, his power, his unchangeable nature. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 43% assert that Jesus was a good teacher, but not God. 73% agree that Jesus is the greatest created being of God. Think about that. 60% say the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. 57% say that everyone sins a little, but people are mostly good by nature. 65% said that everyone is born innocent in God's sight. 37% say that gender is a matter of choice, and that is not the most shocking statistic. Said, so Josh, how can it get? Here's the final 99%, that's like basically everybody of this same group, say that the Bible is the highest authority for what they believe. And I have to ask myself, what Bible are you reading and who's teaching it to you? Now, the task of summarizing the infallibility, the inerrancy, the sufficiency, of the Bible in one 45-minute sermon, which will probably be an hour, just so you know, is terribly daunting. It's like trying to, to show you a, a vein of gold by bringing up a few nuggets. But I think this is a, worth our pursuit and our confidence that that Bible you hold in your hand, you brought to church today, can be fully relied on, fully trusted, and fully sufficient for everything you need to know God and everything you need to know about yourself and everything you need to know about doctrine. number of years ago, when back when my beautiful daughters, who are now women, were kids, probably seven or eight years ago, I was in their room and there was a crumpled piece of paper under one of their pillows. And so I grabbed it out and I had to read what profound thoughts were on this piece of paper from a seven-year-old. And I opened the piece of paper and it said, the title of the uh, subject of study, the five reasons why monkeys don't eat hot dogs. 
Number one, because they are monkeys, duh. Number two, because they eat bananas. Number three, because there are no hot dogs in the jungle. Number four, because they don't know what hot dogs are like. And number five, because hot dogs are really bad for you. (laughs) Sound logic. Now, the sake of analogy is not the content of the reasoning, right? We can kind of giggle at that. But I remember at the time, it it just kind of struck me. You know, people like to study and reason and come to conclusions based on different evidences. It's kind of part of our nature. We drive towards processing through subjects. And I believe that this is one of the reasons God said in Isaiah 1.18 to his people, come let us what? Reason together. In other words, God is not afraid or intimidated by our questions. He does not shun us because of our abundance of ignorance about who he is or our lack of understanding. No, God invites us to challenge him, to search, to ask hard questions, to scrutinize. And one of the great, unique characters of the Bible is that it is really the only written work that subjects itself, claiming to be what it is, and yet subjects itself to human scrutiny in the way it does. And upholding, of course, through thousands of years of that scrutiny, still proving itself to be true. So today, we're going to, uh, the message might sound like me trying to make sense of monkeys and hot dogs, but it's my best attempt in a short time to encourage and strengthen your hope and confidence in the word of God that you have before you. So again, buckle up your minds, let's dive in. Three points regarding the Bible. We're going to look at number one, the character of the Bible. Number two, the canonicity of the Bible. And number three, the context of the Bible. So let's start at the beginning, the character of the Bible. With each point, I have a statement I'll make. Regarding the character of the Bible, we learn this, that God, being the author and creator of all things, holds the ultimate and final authority over all creation. Therefore, anything spoken or inspired by him is without error, we call that inerrant, or without deceit, we call that infallible providing a trustworthy foundation for our lives. Now, we often throw around the terms inerrancy and infallibility like we all know what they mean. So let's define them for a moment. When we say that the Bible is inerrant, the word simply means incapable of being wrong. And this idea is rooted in the very nature of God. If God is the author of everything, then he gets to define what the truth is, not us. If I was to manufacture a puzzle and give it to you, and you said, I don't like the picture that it creates, and so you force all the pieces into your own mold, do you have the right to look at me and say, you made the puzzle wrong? No. Why? Because you didn't make it. You formed the puzzle into the image you wanted, and then you criticized the creator of the puzzle because you didn't like it. So when we say the scripture is inerrant, we're saying because God is unchanging and because he is the author of every created thing, he gets to define what the truth is. And then, of course, when we say infallible, we mean that he is, the Bible is completely trustworthy in its claims. And again, it's rooted in the character and the nature of God. If I was to tell you that God wrote a book that communicated who he was and his plan for all humankind and his will and purposes, 
What might you think would be the characteristics of that book? Do you think it might be the best-selling book in the history of the world? The most distributed work of literature translated into the most language in all of human history? The longest-lasting and most well-preserved of all ancient documents created? The book that contains principles which multiple civilizations have been built on from Rome to Europe to America? Perhaps it might be the most prophetically accurate book ever written in all religions and in all walks of faith, being one quarter, 26, 27% prophecy, over 300 prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus came that Jesus fulfilled exactly? Would you maybe think that it might be the most attacked and imitated book of all time? Well, yeah, that seems to make sense, and it's true. Every one of those statements is true about the Bible that you hold today. We have in the Bible so much more. The Bible has a divine character that has been obvious to billions of people despite time and location or language or culture even. Abraham Lincoln called it the best gift God has given to man. Patrick Henry said, I know, American politicians, right? You never would hear these words out of their mouth today. Patrick Henry said, it's worth all other books ever printed. Noted British statesman William Gladstone wrote that an immeasurable distance separates it from all of its competitors. While the famous philosopher Immanuel Kant declared, the Bible is the greatest benefit which the human race has ever experienced. A.M. Sullivan observed, the cynic who ignores, ridicules, or denies the Bible, spurring its spiritual rewards and aesthetic excitement contributes to his own moral anemia. I don't know what he said either, but it sounds really good. (laughs) No, he's saying the person who denies and rejects the claims of Scripture and the benefits that come from conforming themselves to the Word of God, they are writing their own moral demise. And if you are a skeptic today, I, I appreciate that. I have scrutinized and asked my own hard questions of God and the Bible, especially considering other religions and other works throughout history of, of which many are ignorant about. But I would suggest to you that you can't simply dismiss it because your college professor told you or because some YouTube sensation or TikTok influencer said it, that you can't afford to not do the deep research yourself. Because if this book is what it claims to be and does withstand the tests that are against it, if you just ignore it and cast it out, you are putting yourself, you are missing out on the most important thing that you'll ever experience in your life. And should I say eternity as well. So a little history of the Bible, shall we? The word Bible from the Greek, Biblia, it simply means the books. The Bible is not one book, but a compilation, we might call it a library, of 66 different books written by 40 different authors, separated by multiple continents and languages over the span of thousands of years. And here's why I mention that, because the Bible uniquely communicates one uniform single story with greater continuity and consistency than any other written work in human history. Have you guys read a good book lately? Have you been engrossed in a story, a trilogy? Can't wait till the next book comes out. You want to see the rest of the story. And this single author has created stories that link very intricately and they're they're fascinating and captivating. And the Bible, it's not like Moses, Luke, and Isaiah 
had a writing circle. Hey, Moses, what do you think? You think, you know, it looks like, hey, you know, Moses, I think it'd be a great idea if you wrote this thing about a bronze serpent being lifted up on a rod and whoever looks at it would be healed. And then all right, Jesus died on a cross and was the bronze serpent and whoever looked at him would be healed. Oh, that's a good storyline. Yeah, we got to do that. No, the Bible has a thread of divinely inspired truth that tells the story of the creation of the world, of the creation of man, of the state of man in his fall of sin, of God's involvement to bring hope and redemption and reconnection through the covenant of the law, through Moses, through Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, through his people, Israel, shining his light and his truth in a dark world that is full of idolatry and sin and death and pain, and then ultimately culminating in the fullness of time and the expression of God himself coming into human skin, living a perfect life we could not live, dying a sacrificial death on the cross, and with one victorious shout conquering death for ever, inviting mankind back into the relationship with God that they were created to be in and promising that he will return to recreate the world and the universe in the state that it was created to be in, all so that we could be with him forever. You can't make that up. And the fascinating thing is these authors, many of them wouldn't have even imagined part of the story that they were writing because God inspired them. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by the divine mind through and to man. Some prophets hearing directly from the Lord and writing others not knowing that God is using their own thoughts and their own desires to put forth his word and his will towards us. The 19th century Southern Baptist theologian Edgar Mullins, he sums up this thought well. He says, the Bible is an impressive mark of divine wisdom. Here were writers of varied gifts, separated by long intervals of time, surrounded often by unbelief and deadly hostility, speaking out their messages, often at fearful costs in pain and suffering. The result is a body of literature possessing a marvelous unity along with a marvelous progress. One of the many ways the Bible is unique is that its content and message demonstrate a common theme without compromising the humanness of the document. Here's how I would sum that up. Though the Bible was penned by humans in a very human way, as a whole, it reflects divine invention unparalleled by any other man-made creative work. I mean, seriously, when's the last time, apart from the Bible, you opened up a 1,600-year-old document and you read it, and you felt like it was talking to you with the situation that you're going through right in your life. The thing is, you haven't. It's unique to the scripture alone. This is something we call verbal plenary inspiration. Can you guys say that with me? Verbal inspiration. All we mean by that is verbal. Every word in the original text of the Bible was intended by God for a purpose. Plenary is another word of saying full or complete. That is, the Bible expresses the complete revelation of who God is and what he desires us to know about him. In other words, there's no extra biblical or other revelation that expresses knowledge of God. God contained it in his word. And I'll talk about why that's important in a moment. And then we have inspiration. That is, it is not the invention of human minds, but divinely, the Bible says, The authors wrote as they were led 
or inspired by the Spirit of God. No prophecy is of any private interpretation or private invention, but men moved by the Spirit of God wrote what is in our Bible. Bible contains God's true story. And the logic here, I think, is fairly simple. If God exists, if he is the creator of everything, it's safe to say that he alone possesses all power and authority. And if God decided to communicate to humanity, then anything and everything he said should be trusted as right, authoritative, and true. This is what we call divine revelation. There's general revelation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Firmament shows his handiwork. There's every man is without excuse. All you have to do is look at the stars in the sky, look at the atom under the microscope, and you will know there's a divine, intentional, creative mind behind all of it. But there's a specific revelation. God doesn't just want us to know that he's there. He wants us to know who he is. And he wants us to know him in a special and unique way. And so he wrote it down for us in the scripture. And this is what Paul meant when he said all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Geisler puts it like this. Inspiration is the process by which spirit-moved writers recorded God-breathed writings. And many of these authors might not even know. But here's what I love about the Bible. One of the things, the Bible is written by real people living in real places, recording real historical events. There's no fantasical type of intonation to any of the scripture, guided and directed by a real God. Again, I said it's the only book that opens itself up to historical criticism. It's the only book that claims this place existed in this time, and this is the stuff that happened there. And then an archaeologist all of a sudden goes there and says, we don't believe in the Bible, we don't believe in God, but we're going to actually use the Bible because all the places it says exist, exist. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail here. You know that science, it's not a discovery of the natural universe. Science is a discovery of things that God already put in place. And mark my words, the more science discovers from the depths of the universe to the very smallest molecules, the more they will have to acknowledge and admit the reality of God who created all those laws and created all those physics and and everything. And so we have the character of the Bible, right? This unique work across the span of time, across many, many multiple authors that has a unique divine tone and story that is unparalleled among all other works. Secondly, we must look at the canonicity of the Bible. Again, not to repeat myself overly, but here's a statement for this. The Bible is a library of divinely inspired documents written over thousands of years. These documents, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, have been collected, scrutinized, tested, and compiled to form the scriptures that are universally accepted by the church of Jesus Christ today. When you hear this word, when we talk about the canon, okay, there's a legitimate question many people ask, and you should. How do we know that what has ended up in our Bible are the rightly inspired words of God or the only inspired words of God? What about extra biblical writings? What about the Apocrypha? What about other literary works that talk about Jesus from the same time? What about other religious texts? How do we know that these words can be trusted to be without error and contain the full revelation of God? So we need to go through the process. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, 
We learn about how the Apostle Paul mentored a young pastor friend who was working to reach the hearts of the people he was pastoring. Paul was in Rome at the time, and persecution was no stranger to either of these men. Despite all of that, Paul trusted God to use him where he was. He encouraged Timothy to continue spreading the gospel message. We hope today's teaching has inspired you to continue going forward, even when things get hard. God will take care of all your needs. He'll use your gifts and abilities right where you're at, so you can stand strong to love others well. Will you place your faith in God? If you're checking this whole God thing out for the first time and haven't come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's okay. But please, please go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to know more about how much God loves you. Here at Grace Church, we want your heart to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Hop online and visit our website, TheAscendingLife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's TheAscendingLife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's it for now. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so, because there's more to learn about God. So be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing